Fired Up Show starts right now. Welcome, everybody. Welcome to the Fired Up Podcast for this 4th of July holiday weekend. Hope everybody had a great holiday, that the barbecue was outstanding, the fireworks were exciting, and you're now ready to continue on into the second half of the year. And we're going to continue on here on the Fired Up Podcast uh, and uh, take a little diversion this episode. I want to spend um, this episode talking about the Supreme Court. Um, as you may have, have uh, heard, uh, the Supreme Court ended its uh, October 2023 uh, session uh, just this past Friday. Uh, their sessions go from the first Monday in October to the last uh, Friday in June, and uh, we have now passed that milestone. And you know, it, it has been a contentious session. Uh, in the Supreme Court, uh, starting out uh, as we did uh, early in the session with the decision on the Dobbs case, which overturned Roe versus Wade and, and basically uh, largely largely ended uh, abortion rights uh, in this country, at least at the federal level. Uh, and you know, not to be outdone they have ended their session this year on a bang as well and we're going to talk about the decisions uh, that have uh, been released uh, based on the cases that were heard uh, throughout the the session and cover in particular some of the uh, key elements of things that the Supreme Court has decided that are going to have some major impacts on uh, life here in the United States. So, for starters, uh, this was the first uh, session of the term of the newest uh, Associate Justice of the Supreme Court, uh, Justice Ketanji Brown-Jackson, who was appointed by President Biden to the bench and started her tenure on the court uh, in October of of 2022. So, uh, right away, her influence in the court uh, is being felt. Uh, it, it, it's not exactly, you know, lightning in a bottle and, and whoa, whole big changes. Uh, however, uh, the addition of uh, Justice Jackson to the court has sort of a, a moderating effect on some of the other justices. Uh, she brings a, a wealth of experience and knowledge and intellect to the court. And uh, she has been uh, very vocal in many of her uh, opinions written in dissent to some of the uh, laws uh, or some of the rulings, rather, that were, were brought forward by the court. Uh, just to be aware, uh, one of the things that has overshadowed the court is what appears to be uh, and arguably is uh, a a political uh, bent or influence in the court. Uh, The court currently sits at uh, six conservative uh, justices and three liberal justices, and I put those terms in air quotes. However, what we have seen over the course of this term, which will be discussed by far more scholarly uh, Supreme Court uh, experts than me uh, over the coming years, uh, is that the apparent addition of Justice Jackson, as I said, has uh, had something of a 
small moderating effect uh, on the uh, performance of the court. Now, much of that is probably uh, respond in response to, excuse me, from the nature of the cases that the court has decided to take up this year. Uh, but what we have seen, as, as I said, is uh, Justice Jackson has added uh, her uh, voice uh, frequently in very sharp uh, criticism of uh, her colleagues on the bench uh, with regard to uh, decisions that were made and opinions that were written. And uh, actually, in my opinion, that's a very refreshing um, uh, uptake on what goes on in the court. Uh, it is refreshing that there seems to be uh, a more uh, diverse uh, range of opinions uh, not really seen uh, as much in the court since uh, the passing of uh, Justice Ruth Bader Ginsburg. Uh, and you know that too, as I said, is a refreshing change and hopefully we'll see as, as time goes on, uh, we'll see additional uh, impacts of the uh, newest justice uh, and her liberal colleagues uh, over the decisions that come out of the court. So, as I said, the Supreme Court this term ended their session um, with a, a bang, uh, is the only way you can put it. Uh, there were two decisions that came down uh, among the, the many decisions that were issued uh, in the month of June. And just by way of background, typically the way the court functions is they will hear cases throughout the term. They will uh, deliberate and debate over those cases. And decisions uh, on the cases they've heard uh, generally come out uh, in the final month, uh, six weeks or so of the session. So they will hear cases from, you know, the, from October on. Uh, and then unless there is uh, an, an overriding need to execute a, a decision uh, announcement uh, in, an, in an expedited fashion, or if it's an emergency ruling, uh, they will typically uh, collect their their rulings and release them, as I said, over about the last six weeks or so of the term. So what we've seen, and um, the Associated Press uh, had an article that came out uh, on the 1st of July uh, by Mark Sherman, and you know it, it talked about how uh, in the span of 370 days, um, reshaped by three justices, uh, that were nominated by President Donald Trump, uh, the court has uh, made uh, made a a targeted effort at going after uh, certain elements of you know our system. And as I said, we'll talk a little bit about it. But to kind of of preface uh, it within the past week, uh, decisions were announced over affirmative action uh, and. Um, the the idea of you know how affirmative action uh, can you know not be counted as part of uh, a, a college admissions package uh, overtly or directly 
Um, so, you know, that is causing colleges and, and universities to, you know, look carefully at their admissions program and make adjustments. One of the things that was brought up in discussion regarding the elimination of uh, race-based uh, elements of the admissions process is the broader impact it is going to have in corporate America and other areas that uh, that rely on some kind of assessment to to their hiring process, uh, and we will see how that progresses. So right now, it's too new to. Uh, to, to paint out in any great detail. However, it's clear that, you know, like the song says, change is going to come. In addition to the uh, use of race in admissions uh, decision that was handed down, uh, there was also uh, another important decision that was um, handed down in, in terms of the Supreme Court weighing in on the legality of the student loan forgiveness uh, plan uh, brought forward by President Biden and the court rejected that and we'll talk a little bit more about that and that uh, there was another case uh, involving a graphic artist who uh, wanted to refuse to serve customers uh, from you know who were gay or from the LGBTQ community uh, on religious reasons, and there's some interesting twists in that case, which we'll talk about also when we come to it. So, you know, according again to this to this um, article in the Associated Press, um, there there were some troubling decisions that were made, um, and there were some decisions that were frankly quite surprising that came out of the court with this makeup so let let's take a look at um, what the cases were uh, at least uh, in in summary that were decided uh, this term by the Supreme Court so in on June 30th um, as I said the Supreme Court struck down President Biden's plan to forgive millions of dollars uh, for millions of student loan uh, uh, recipients. Um, and, you know, this was a campaign promise that Biden had made to forgive uh, millions of student loans up to uh, $20,000. And, you know, that had been uh, challenged at the legislative level and wound up in the Supreme Court where uh, they struck that down um, on, on, you know, on basically partisan lines and uh, left that program you know, non-existent. President Biden has, uh, in, in a press conference shortly after the decision, said that they will look for other pathways to achieve that goal. However, that's going to take some time and uh, it, it, you know, it, it is going to be something that they are working on, but they do not have a ready answer for. Uh, another decision that they, um, they brought was they upheld Biden's uh, immigration enforcement plan 
in an eight to one decision, uh, the justices say that the Biden administration may focus its efforts on arresting and deporting migrants who pose a current danger. Now, after the, um, the ending of Title 42, uh, the immigration process reverted to the previous uh, law, which was called Title 8. Now, Republican lawmakers in Texas and Louisiana felt that uh, while Title 8 was in fact showing results in that the number of illegal border crossings was going down, they did not think it went far enough. So they sued uh, to, uh, to force the administration uh, to, to take more aggressive efforts on arresting and deporting uh, those uh, crossing the border illegally or those who you know, posed an, an, a current danger. So the Supreme Court came down in an eight to one decision, uh, basically saying the Texas and Louisiana uh, cases lacked standing in the court in order to sue. Uh, translating that into English, it means that uh, basically Texas and Louisiana didn't have a case to bring so that you know their, their case was then uh, uh, overturned. Um, and it's interesting to note that uh, eight of the Supreme Court uh, justices, including the six um, well, five of the six conservatives and the three liberal justices um, voted in favor of uh, throwing out uh, this, this uh, case. Uh, the lone dissent was Justice Alito. Interestingly, in this case, uh, the Supreme Court uh, correctly stated that uh, the, the uh, executive branch uh, through its enforcement wing uh, was the proper entity in order to drive uh, what the uh, goals were that they were seeking. In another case related to uh, immigration, particularly illegal immigration, uh, the Supreme Court rejected a free speech challenge to a long-standing law that makes it a crime to, in, to quote, encourage or induce illegal immigration. So, you know, efforts to encourage uh, people to come to the border and cross the border illegally, uh, which were thought or at least proposed to be under protected free speech, uh, the Supreme Court said, no, that's not the case. Uh, in another case that was decided, uh, the Supreme Court rejected uh, a suit from the Navajo Nation uh, seeking more water for the reservation. Uh, according to the case, the Supreme Court said that an 1868 treaty with the Navajos did not have an implied promise that they would have access to water. So uh, there's controversy around that decision as well. In another case involving um, Native American uh, uh, culture and, and tribes in Texas, the uh, majority of the Supreme Court justices rejected uh, a Texas challenge to the landmark 1978 federal adoption law that seeks to keep Native American children with tribal families. Uh, this suit came about where uh, uh, families in Texas were suing to allow the adoption of uh, Native American children to uh, non-Native American families, even though uh, there were families within the tribe 
that uh, were eligible and, and could be uh, adoptive parents uh, to those children. Uh, another decision that came up, and this one uh, kind of came out of left field. Uh, this was announced on June 8th, uh, where the Supreme Court, uh, they upheld the Voting Rights Act uh, in a ruling against Alabama Republicans, uh, and they basically upheld the reach of the Voting Rights Act, ruling that Alabama must draw an election district that would likely favor a black Democrat. And we talked about this uh, in a recent podcast, um, which you can find at our archive site, where uh, all of the, or, or the majority of uh, black voters in the state of Alabama were uh, corralled into a single district where according to the percentages and numbers by, by their own rules, uh, there really should have been more than one district. So suit was brought, it made its way to the Supreme Court, and the Supreme Court upheld that Alabama has to draw uh, its districts uh, differently to allow for uh, the opportunity for a black candidate to be voted upon by um, more black people in those districts. On June 1st, the Supreme Court uh, warned unions against strikes that damage an employer's property. Um, and this one comes out of union workers uh, have a right to strike, but not to damage a company's property, uh, according to the Supreme Court. Uh, workers are not indentured servants, is a quote from uh, Justice Kentaji Brown-Jackson uh, in dissent. Uh, so the Supreme Court came down on the side of you know, uh, putting unions uh, in somewhat of check over destroying property uh, as they allege under the premise of a, a labor dispute or strike. Um, in another decision, Supreme Court, and this was an important one, it limits EPA protection for wetlands favoring property white rights over clean water. And this one, uh, in a 5-4 vote, uh, they, they ruled to limit federal protection for wetlands in a property rights case, saying the Clean Water Act does not usually apply to the marshy areas. Now, um, you know, this uh, does represent something of a setback uh, in you know, protection of wetlands areas, uh, probably opening the door for a lot more development in those areas. Um, and you know there was you know a, another uh, decision uh, that came out on Friday, and this one uh, a couple of decisions. Um, there was a, a case coming out of North Carolina that was uh, wildly anticipated uh, for its impact on you know um, uh, control of. Uh, the legislator, legislative process uh, and involved what was called the independent legislature uh, theory. And again, we talked about this on a, on a prior podcast as well. This theory of uh, independent state legislatures is based on uh, a single sentence uh, from the Constitution, uh, basically that cites that uh, state legislatures have uh, control over the time, place, and manner that uh, elections, including federal elections, are held. 
and the the argument was uh, being extended to say that uh, the uh, the state courts and even the state governor have no uh, impact or no control over how and and where elections are held and in in fact the outcomes of elections uh, can be overturned and replaced uh, simply based on the whims of uh, state legislature. Uh, this was, you know, largely debunked uh, as a, a, a radical and impractical theory, uh, yet uh, it was still being uh, pushed as a methodology for, uh, in this case, the state of North Carolina to justify its radical gerrymandering uh, of the uh, voting districts in its state, essentially to exclude uh, you know, uh, non-Republican, um, black and Democratic uh, voters by, by herding them into uh, single districts where by the percentages of population, they should have you know, more than one, uh, similar to the Alabama case. Uh, so the Supreme Court struck this down, uh, hopefully putting you know a firm lid on uh, this this wackadoodle theory of an independent uh, legislature uh, and and realigning uh, the states back uh, the way it was initially uh, designed by the founders. In a controversial decision uh, that came out in late June. Uh, the Supreme Court made it harder to prosecute online stalkers. Uh, in the uh, decision that was 7-2, to two, justices said that the First Amendment protects people who send harassing messages if they don't realize their words are seen as threatening. And, you know, that raises, uh, basically you know, opens, I guess, the barn door for, you know, people to continue to uh, harass people uh, through, you know, social media, email, other uh, means uh, without necessarily facing um, consequences uh, or restrictions uh, under the law. So we'll, we'll keep track on that to see how that uh, manifests itself uh, in, in the, the sphere of public uh, uh, discussion uh, going forward. So, you know, these are, you know, the, the major decisions that came out from the Supreme Court during this term. It's not the entirety of decisions made. Uh, the Supreme Court also hears, as I said, cases on an emergency basis where an expedited decision is needed uh, for you know, some situation. And there have been several of those. Uh, but these were the major ones uh, with... Uh, uh, deeper political ramifications and ones that you know warrant you know further discussion and uh, will definitely have an impact on how many things in this country are done. Uh, the affirmative action uh, setback is clearly uh, not just going to affect uh, colleges and universities; uh, it will have impacts. Uh, in in broader areas, uh, including corporate America, including you know elementary and and uh, middle schools, uh, you know lots of different different areas. The fact that the court has uh, now set a, set a precedent for 
supporting uh, those sections of the Voting Rights Act that prevent uh, uh, basically diluting uh, voter participation uh, along racial lines, uh, you know, as was done in both uh, North Carolina and Alabama, will also have uh, more wide-reaching effects uh, across the country as other states uh, may try to uh, gerrymander districts in their states to uh, reduce the the presence of minorities and uh, basically non-Republican voters. Now, will that go far enough in terms of undoing uh, the gerrymandering that's already been, been done? Uh, I don't think so, and probably not, but it is a start, and, you know, we'll We'll talk in the in the second segment uh, among the things that you know we the people can do in order to have an impact on those those rules and an impact in how our our states are divided up into their representative uh, districts uh, going forward. So you know an interesting year uh, policy wise or or decision wise from the Supreme Court. Uh, it was overshadowed uh, by controversy uh, late in the year revolving around uh, Justice Clarence Thomas and Justice Samuel Alito, who uh, it was reported uh, received uh, gifts from billionaire uh, donors um, uh, in, in the, the hundreds of thousands of dollars in the case of Clarence Thomas, uh, he and his wife received uh, luxury vacations and trips, you know, aboard mega yachts. Uh, in the case of Justice Alito, uh, he was uh, given a uh, an, 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 a flight to a fishing camp in Alaska that, you know, if he had paid for it himself, uh, was valued at more than $100,000 just for the plane travel. Uh, so... You know, there are some some uh, calls coming out of Congress uh, for some type of ethics controls to be put in place uh, in the Supreme Court. Now, federal courts uh, up and down the line below the Supreme Court, they all have to abide by federal ethics rules in terms of reporting uh, gifts and donations over a thousand dollars. This does not apply, apparently, to the Supreme Court. And that is something that has uh, generated calls coming out of uh, Congress uh, on both sides of the aisle, truthfully, that uh, there is some type of uh, ethics uh, rules that need to be put in place. And pressures being brought upon Chief Justice uh, Roberts uh, to take control of his court and uh, issue or, or establish some types of, of ethics rules. Um, the, the Constitution says that Congress has the power to regulate the Supreme Court. Uh, they have been historically hesitant to do that. However, uh, given the controversial nature of the decisions we've seen this term and looking ahead to uh, what's coming down the pipe for next term, uh, and, and we'll, we'll pick up with a little bit of that after the break, um, you know, there may be renewed calls uh, for, you know, things like uh, ethics rules to be put in place. Uh, there's also been a, a, a call that is uh, receiving increased volume 
about expanding the court to uh, to mitigate some of its uh, you know conservative nature and and bring perhaps a little more balance to the court. There are pluses and minuses to that idea. And again, uh, after the break, we'll we'll touch on that a little bit uh, here in the show. So we're going to take our break right here. Uh, you're listening to the Fired Up podcast right here on WJMS Media. Uh, if you're new to the program, please send an email uh, letting us know what you think. Uh, also, you know, share with uh, you know friends and and your circle uh, so that you know we can we can get their input on you know how we do. Uh, this show is is dedicated to the political system here in this country, and I truly welcome uh, feedback and comments from the listeners uh, about you know how we do, you know what we do, and what our content is, what your thoughts and opinions are on it. So again, send an email, fireduppradio at yahoo.com. All right, we'll take our break here. Uh, we'll be right back with more of Fired Up right after the message. This is John Stossel. Anything that makes it harder for you to speak limits your life. So if stuttering affects you or your child or someone you know, you can call the Stuttering Foundation for help. The number is 800-992-9392. That's toll-free, 800-992-9392. Or you can visit their website, www.stutteringhelp.org. They can refer you to expert help in your state. And welcome back to Fired Up, right here on WJMS Media. We're talking this episode about the Supreme Court, uh, the term that has just finished as of the end of June. And uh, now we're going to take just a brief look forward at to uh, at least a couple of things we can expect to come to the court uh, in the coming uh, term that will start the first Monday in October. So, you know, having completed their term, the justices are now uh, on their summer break, which will, uh, as I said, go until the first Monday in October. Uh, nice gig if you can get it. Um, <laughs> the court uh, will come back and you know take up a whole new list of uh, cases, and generally they announce the cases that they are going to uh, be reviewing starting you know when the term starts. Uh, but there are a couple that are on the um, on the docket right now that uh, they are going to talk about. Uh, the court uh, in the coming term will examine the legal fallout from uh, last year's expansion of gun rights. Uh, and this involves a case over a domestic violence gun ban that was struck down by a lower court. So the, they are going to weigh in on you know, Second Amendment implications and so forth uh, as they examine this case. And uh, even though you know, the Dobbs decision you know, in, in, in some areas severely uh, restricted uh, access and abortion rights, uh, there's still a new, a new legal battle uh, over abortion uh, that could make its way to the court in coming months. Uh, in April, the court preserved access to mefepristone, a drug used in the most common method of abortion. Uh, right now, there is a lawsuit involving uh, mefepristone making its way through the federal courts, uh, and it is you know, likely going to land on the Supreme Court 
uh, doorstep uh, come the fall. And, you know, there's other uh, uh, issues that the court will take up through cases that are coming their way. Uh, they're going to have opportunities to uh, additionally constrain uh, federal regulatory agencies. Uh, there's a case out there that asks them to overturn the so-called Chevron decision that defers to regulators when they seek to give uh, effect to big picture, sometimes vague laws uh, that are written by Congress. Uh, this 1984 decision has been cited by judges in more than 15,000 cases. And, you know, there, there's much, much more to come. Uh, as I said, the court usually announces its docket uh, either uh, as, it, as the October startup approaches or just after the, uh, start, the session takes effect in October. So, you know, of course, we will keep an eye out. Uh, we'll bring you any information on, you know, prospective cases uh, that will be coming to uh, the next session of the Supreme Court. Uh, I want to turn the page a little bit and talk about uh, what we as the voters, what we as the electorate uh, can do uh, regarding, you know, our, our feelings on the Supreme Court. Uh, as I said in the last segment, there have been discussions about expanding the court, uh, perhaps uh, moving to having uh, you know, 11 or 13 justices uh, in an effort by uh, the, the liberal slash progressive side uh, of the political spectrum to perhaps moderate uh, the court's radical uh, conservative uh, uh, potential. Um, that may hmm, that may never come to fruition in my opinion. Um, the, the court has been at nine justices for you know decades if, if not a century and uh, that seems to be the number that the legal system in this country is most comfortable with. Um, it, it is tempting uh, for you know the the Congress to you know expand and contract uh, to add and take away from the court uh, when it seems like they are giving decisions that that they disagree with or that are disagreed with by you know one party or the other um, but that is not the solution to uh, what ails our Supreme Court uh, there's other discussions going on about term limits now this is one that um, is uh, interesting and challenging on its face however uh, it is something that would take a long time to implement. Uh, remember, Supreme Court justices, like federal court uh, judges, are appointed uh, for lifetime positions. So that means that uh, in, in order for you know, term limits to be applied, uh, it would have to apply to uh, incoming justices or new justices uh, while the existing ones would essentially serve until either they resign or, you know, they, they pass away. So I don't know how that one gets implemented, 
uh, I think it is a an overall good idea, but it is one that is going to take a very long time uh, to to fully put in place uh, for all nine justices. Um, keep in mind that the youngest justices are you know perhaps in their late 40s or early 50s, so we could be looking at you know 20 or 30 years uh, on the bench. Um, you know, so we will see how that progresses. Um, other uh, other considerations uh, for the Supreme Court, uh, and one I think is uh, long overdue. Uh, I think the Supreme Court should finally move to allow camera access into the courts, so that the American people can see uh, how justice is being applied. Um, right now, the only access we have to real-time uh, or near real-time uh, reporting on the Supreme Court for, to the American people is uh, on Fridays, there the um, audio transcripts of the, the sessions that occurred during the week are released. So having video access into the Supreme Court, as we do in you know, many of the lower courts in this country, um, I think is an, a long overdue idea that uh, we the people should be uh, urging Congress uh, to move forward uh, and, and make that happen. Now, we'll, we'll see how much progress that makes, but it is definitely something that we can work on. So what are some of the impacts of the decisions that come out of the Supreme Court? Uh, I want to deal with uh, a couple of them in particular. I think there is somewhat of a misconception out there that uh, some of these rulings uh, only apply to certain groups uh, in this country. Um, for example, uh, rulings on affirmative action uh, are only applicable to minority uh, student or minority applicants. Um, and I would suggest that, uh, you know, uh, non-minority non uh, groups, particularly women, uh, should pay close attention because in many areas, in many areas of consideration, women are considered a minority and, uh, a, and can be a beneficiary of affirmative action rules. So if there are no affirmative action rules, uh, there is one less uh, encouragement uh, for you know, corporations to um, hire, advance, uh, and elevate women in the workplace. So this could turn around and be something that has more than just a minority uh, implication. Um, same thing with uh, these uh, gerrymandering rules, uh, while you know the the reversal and, and support for the Voting Rights Act in Alabama and North Carolina were you know good things and led to a positive outcome, uh, I I would not be surprised if it doesn't uh, uh, precipitate uh, yet another attack on the Voting Rights Act uh, in its entirety. Uh, much like happened with uh, Roe versus Wade. Now, you know, we need to make sure that we are communicating with our elected officials uh, all up and down the line that you know, you know, what 
remains of the Voting Rights Act needs to uh, be kept in place. And in fact, uh, the best move would be to seek to reinstate the sections of the VRA uh, that were removed uh, by the Supreme Court um, you know, 10 years ago. So you know, it, it is not time for you know, those in, in the uh, ethnic majority in this country uh, to start toasting champagne and, and you know, giving a woo-ha. Um, some of these laws uh, are going to circle back and impact uh, people who are poor but not minority, who are in rural areas but not minority, uh, and, you know, and others that uh, will be collateral victims of these laws that you know, people who are enacting them believe are are solely targeting, uh, you know, these these marked groups, whether it's African Americans, uh, Hispanic, uh, Asian, uh, LGBTQ plus IA, all of these groups. It's not necessarily just them who are going to be impacted. Uh, it, it is very easy for these laws to be uh, used and expanded. Uh, in targeting other groups that you know the uh, the the white male Christian uh, uh, people in this country uh, seek to to target you know and and this could this could mean setting back uh, women's rights you know by decades uh, realize that you know the Equal Rights Amendment. Uh, is, is still something, is still an ongoing effort to get uh, the Constitution amend, amended to include it. Uh, and it's been almost, it's been over 40 years uh, since that was first put forward. So, you know, it, it is not good for people who are not in the targeted uh, groups uh, of these laws uh, to, to be complacent or comfortable. Uh, we need to make sure that laws are applied fairly and equitably, and we need to make sure that laws are being written that you know, reflect who we are as the American population. Uh, we are not all uh, white, Christian, male uh, people. This is a country of a diverse population. It gets more diverse every year. Uh, and, you know, we need to recognize that. And that, that means that our laws need to be fluid and dynamic and be available uh, to be changed and that we are willing to change them as we go on uh, through, through this journey. The key point is that we the people must remain vigilant. Uh, the Supreme Court has indicated uh, over the last several years that uh, the notion that they are apolitical, that is not defined by uh, party considerations uh, and, you know, are, are impartial arbiters of the law uh, has really been weakened, if not outright abandoned uh, by the court over the last, um, you know, 10 years or so, uh, particularly uh, since the um, appointment of the three uh, latest conservative justices to the bench. Uh, there's an article that came out in Newsweek uh, on Sunday uh, that uh, talks about some of the things 
that uh, the court is or could be looking at, uh, and one of them is uh, further um, uh, uh, restrictions or further considerations on uh, LGBTQ plus rights cases. Uh, after the, the case that was decided uh, this past week uh, in 303 Creative LLC versus Elenis, uh the case with the web designer uh, and uh, whether or not uh, a business can in fact refuse to provide services uh, to someone from uh, the LGBTQ plus uh, group based on their religious uh, preferences. Um, there are more areas that the Supreme Court uh, may uh, come be brought before them uh, to further uh, include restrictions. Um, so it, it is clear, <clears throat> excuse me, that that is one area that the Supreme Court may well uh, weigh into. Uh, as I said, with regard to the mef mefepristone um, uh, medication, uh, there are still areas in the uh, woman's health and uh, reproductive rights arena that the, civil, the uh, Supreme Court uh, may yet weigh in on. Uh, it, is, it is clear, as the article states, that uh, the court is not bound by stare decisis, uh, a legal term referring to precedent, uh, literally translated to uh, decided law. Uh, in circumstances when it comes to interpreting the Constitution, meaning that all precedents could be on the chopping block. And the court was uh, very uh, forceful in its overturning of several precedents, including uh, Roe versus Wade and affirmative action. Uh, the, the court has said uh, repeatedly, according to the article, uh, last year in Dobbs and this year that they are free to look at these precedents and correct what they believe are egregious errors. So yes, everything is on the table. Uh, Justice Clarence Thomas uh, said in his uh, concurrence in the Dobbs case, uh, that is exactly what he said, that you know, there are other uh, laws and other precedents that the Supreme Court is willing to take a look at and basically issued the call for uh, the lower courts to funnel cases up to them so that they can, in fact, weigh in on those. Um, the article pointed to a number of cases that could be at risk of being overturned. Uh, these include Loving versus Virginia, which made interracial marriages legal nationwide. Griswold v. Connecticut, which prevents bans on contraceptives for married couples, and Obergfell versus Hodges, the case that made same-sex marriage legal nationwide. So, you know, as, as concerning as the decisions that came out of this term of the Supreme Court, uh, there's still more ahead that we need to uh, be aware of, that we need to be conscious of, and that we need to be ready to uh, let our elected officials know where we stand on it. The six to three supermajority that the court now enjoys uh, is something that clearly uh, seems to be emboldening them to, uh, to take on uh, cases that uh, in, in prior years uh, would not have been uh, possible or practical for them to do so. Um, 
as the article states, uh, this uh, conservative supermajority seems to have prioritized prosecuting a particular ideological agenda ahead of well-worn methods of interpretation and restraint that has guided the court throughout its history. Uh, now, as I said earlier, Congress has the authority to rein in the court. Lawmakers could limit its jurisdiction, expand the court, uh, cease its funding, or impose a code of ethics that the justices must follow, although doing so may be difficult uh, due to Congress's inability to work together, uh, was noted in the article. Um, similar concerns grew after the court's Dobbs, Dobbs ruling last June, uh, which overturned Roe v. Wade after Justice Clarence Thomas wrote in his concurring opinion that, quote, the court should reconsider all of this court's substantive due process precedents, including Griswold, Lawrence, and Obergefell. Uh, he described the precedents in these cases as demonstrably erroneous. So, you know, it, the, the work is not done. Um, you know, these, these concerns are uh, calls to uh, codify uh, things such as same-sex marriage. Um, you know, last year, President Biden signed into law the Respect for Marriage Act, which requires states to recognize marriages performed in other states, but would not require states to issue marriage licenses to same-sex couples should Obergefell be overturned. So, you know, there is a, a lot of work uh, to be done, uh, both at the uh, legislative and congressional levels, but also there is a lot of work for us to do. Uh, we need to make sure that uh, we are having these conversations with our elected officials, for one thing. For another, we need to make sure that you know, we don't sit back on uh, what we presume to be uh, you know, nationwide victories uh, with these uh, gerrymandering cases being decided uh, the way they were. Uh, we need to make sure that, uh, number one, uh, regardless of whether or not your state uh, has a gerrymandered uh, state, state map uh, assigned to it, that you know, we are uh, registered, that we are engaged, and that we get out and vote. Uh, that is the only way that we are going to turn this around. Now remember, it is going to take time to undo what it has taken time to put in place. Uh, the gerrymandered system that uh, some uh, 28 states, I believe, are now under uh, is going to uh, take uh, a number of years and a number of election cycles to, to reverse or to mitigate. Uh, this is a process that has been underway for more than 50 years. Uh, it is not something that we are going to reverse in 2024. Uh, we are probably going to be fighting this battle for many election cycles to come. But it is a battle that we have to fight. It is a battle that we must continue to fight. And we need to let our elected officials know that we are going to fight this battle. That, you know, the idea that, uh, you know, one group or a collection of groups can be uh, marginalized at the state level through a... a process of unfair uh, gerrymandering and creating districts that aren't representative 
of the populations uh, they profess to represent that give one party excess power that, um, according to the rules of majority, they should not have, uh, and that uh, isolate and disenfranchise groups of, of voters based on whatever criteria you, you want to name, whether it's race, ethnicity, uh, uh, sexual preference, marriage status, whatever the case may be, uh, the concept of the United States was built on uh, widespread democracy, on one person, one vote, on equal representation under the law, and we need to make sure that our elected officials remember that, that uh, that's the principle that they are supposed to be working under. Now, if they are unwilling or unable to work under those, or if we continue to see the kind of crazy uh, uh, responses that we see coming from the parties, then you know they need to understand that changes will be made and that it, the people, not the politicians, are the agents of that change. So you know our homework assignment is clear. We need to pay attention. We need to be informed. We need to be educated. We need to be getting our information, as we say so many times on this podcast, that we need to be getting our information from multiple sources, not just one or two uh, mouthpiece sources that we, we regularly listen to. We need to get views from the other side so we know what they are thinking and we can use that and work with that to find and get to the truth. So as always, dig wider, dig deeper, uh, be informed, be educated, be activist. Uh, if there ever was a time for an activist electorate, uh, now is that time. So you know, get up, get involved. Uh, you know, never mind the rhetoric. Uh, never mind the the woke this and anti-woke that and all of this other noise that you're hearing from uh, would-be politicians or potential candidates. Uh, the time is now for us to get in the game, to make our presence felt, and to let our elected officials from the state all the way up to the federal know that uh, we control their jobs, we control whether or not they keep that seat that uh, they were elected to. So there it is, in a nutshell, cut dry and clear. Uh, we all know what we need to do. Now we've got to just get out there and do it. Uh, as always, you know, the Fired Up podcast will be your source for information, strategy, and tactics, uh, and, and education on what needs to be done and how we can do it. Uh, so I appreciate your listening. Please stay tuned. Please keep listening. Uh, share this with your friends. We're available on you know, all the, the podcast outlets. You can search for us in the search engine of your choice. Uh, just search for either WJMS Radio or search for uh, Fired Up Podcast, and you will find us. Uh, please listen. Please subscribe. Uh, and let me know what you think. Send an email to the program at firedupradio at yahoo.com. As always, thank you so, so much for listening as you do each week. I greatly appreciate it. I look forward to bringing you more information uh, and more updates uh, as, as we do each week. So once again, I hope everybody had a very safe and enjoyable 4th of July holiday, uh, but now it's time to get down to business. So thank you, 
And I look forward to talking to you again in seven days.